Hey guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast ranking every horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. How's it going, Quincy? How's your week going? It's good. So last week I had hinted at a new project that I wasn't quite ready to announce, but now it's live. Ooh. Uh, so I am working on a local free blockbuster. So free blockbuster Clarksville is the 50th, I believe, free blockbuster in the country. And uh, me and my local record store and vinyl have put together this, uh, it's basically a newspaper box. We bought a prefab box from Mm -hmm. freeblockbuster.org. It says, take a movie, leave a movie, and it's painted in blockbuster blue. And uh, I have filled it with movies, and (laughs) we have set it on the corner of uh, the Main Street in Clarksville, uh, downtown. And it's right in front of the record store. And while the record, as long as, uh, and then at night, the record store owner pulls it inside and locks the door just like he does for his uh, chalkboard sign. I could not love this more than I love this. Like, is it uh, both like VHS and DVD or is it? It is pretty much anything. I have put VHS, DVD, and Blu-rays in it. Mm -hmm. And so far, my community, I think, is scoping it out we get a lot of people opening the door and poking around inside and then not taking anything with them yeah i think it's because people are either afraid that it's too good to be true (laughs) um the movies are of dubious quality Mm -hmm. or uh they think they have to bring a movie back but um i'm thinking about making a cloth banner that says i assure you we're free and hanging it on the <laughs> box listen it's it's uh, if you have to reference clerks it's the best one i think <laughs> like that's the one you want honestly little like little free libraries have such a weird thing where people are like did you know that people are stealing the books from little free libraries and it's like i don't think you can that's actually point. <laughs> yeah like someone will like oh they just took all of the books from the little free library and it's like that's the listen if somebody needs to gank that many books i say let them have it like that's the same with this is i've already talked to people who are afraid that the movies are going to be stolen Mm -hmm. and my response is um two prong one is if they need them that bad they can certainly have them Mm -hmm. and two i've been decorating the movies so i have a roll of uh be kind rewind stickers and um green horror stickers so i've been stickering all of the copies of the movies in there so now um you can see which ones are rated r and i got a couple of those um do you remember in the 90s anime tapes had uh not for kids with a frowning child on them (laughs) which i love frowning child for do not let kids watch this yeah so i got some of those to to make sure that (laughs) You know, a child doesn't borrow dangerous cargo or Deadpool. So, like, (laughs) I figure, you know, if someone needs to steal them, they're still going to take them. But if I decorate them and make them look like rental copies, maybe people will be less... inclined to uh steal them see i love this uh in in the regard that you know as we've talked about on the podcast i I worry about where the next generation of kids are going to get their ghoul shit from and i love the idea of a kid going up to a little free blockbuster and seeing a copy of like hellraiser or something and just going like "Eh, all right you know like just kind of (laughs) take you know and and finding out about it that way like it's oh it's so cool i love i love so much that you've that you've done this in clarksville 
Yeah, so if anyone wants to follow my antics, uh, they can go on Instagram and search um, Free Blockbuster Clarksville, and uh, you can see updates about what's in the box. Uh, What's in the box? What's in the box? I love also that uh, the little free Blockbuster thing has managed to hollow out the corpse of Blockbuster, which was a tyrannical entity that shut down mom and pop stores. Oh, yeah. And yeah. We, we took it back. What it is is that you're basically um, chop top, or you're basically Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw 2 uh, puppeting around the body of the hitchhiker on the car <laughs> where it's just like, I'm Blockbuster. And it's, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Um, so, Ryan, what ghoul shit have you been up to? Well, the ghoul shit that I've been up to this week, it's actually not even ghoul shit. I'm actually going to do wholesome shit. This week, I got my first new electric guitar since I was 14, uh, and it is a Gretsch uh, G5655TG, which is a very catchy name, uh, Electromatic Center Block Junior. Um, it's like anything that I'm, anything that I've been doing this week that has not been futzing with my, with my new guitar is like, I sort of resent any of the tasks I've, I've had that was, that, that were not, uh, futzing. Um, it's just, it's new guitar feeling is the best feeling in the world. So I'm just really like, uh, yeah, marinating, marinating in the good feelings of, of, of having that new guitar. The other thing is that, um, I've been going online and sort of like guitar YouTube is a weird nightmare dimension. Oh because... yeah, I've I've watched um, I've watched heavy metal guitar YouTube, which is mm -hmm. especially bizarre. Here's the thing I hate: uh, everybody needing to do metal versions of things. It's like here's a metal version of the Game of Thrones theme, and like I get the compulsion. I you know I, I of needing to do a metal cover of a thing, but let's let's stop. Let's stop. Can we like find a new genre of like? And here's a big band cover of Golden Girls or whatever. Like I don't know. Not everything needs a metal theme, guys. So I've been reading J.J. Anselmi's um, Doomed to Fail, which is a oh, yeah. um, history of sludge metal. And uh, he traces it back to blues, which is, a, which is an obvious. But then I never quite realized that the late 60s was an arms race for the heaviest, grimiest guitar tone <laughs> until Anselmi is like in 68, uh, Vanilla Fudge came out in 67 uh, this other song came out and then we get Led Zeppelin's first album and then we get Black Sabbath it's like yeah th these dudes were just racing to just be as grimy as possible on their which, guitars which is beautiful like honestly racing to be as grimy as possible is usually like a squat punk thing so good for them to transpose that into a musical genre it almost makes me identify with my dad who's like a huge led <laughs> zeppelin rolling stones fan and be like yeah the heavy metal i enjoy is uh rooted in the music you like honestly every time i remember that there was a band called vanilla fudge i'm like i really should check out vanilla fudge because like they're one of those bands that i've never listened to but when we're talking about other bands they always seem to be like lurking in the background and also their See, name is vanilla fudge like what's Black going Wild on Wild thing is vanilla fudge is a cover band and they basically <laughs> did heavy metal covers of popular songs in the 60s so they're doing Eleanor Rigby, but with like psychedelic, uh, really heavy guitar tone. Or Whoa. like they do Season of the Witch, 
but make it evil. <laughs> so they were doing the thing I was just bitching about with YouTubers who constantly need to do metal covers and stuff. <laughs> yes, they were the exactly. original they, they, were, they were the original metal YouTubers. Wow. So clearly I need to I need to fucking check out Vanilla Fudge. So so if you're like I'd li- I would like this uh Beatles song better if it was done by Iron Butterfly, that's Vanilla Fudge. <laughs> I mean that's like that's how I feel about most Beatles songs actually. Is like uh I'd l- rather listen to the Motley Crue cover of Helter Skelter than actual <laughs> Helter Skelter by the Beatles, but that's also because I'm I don't know. I feel like I go back and forth on the Beatles because on one hand I'm like, "Man, fuck the Beatles. I'm tired of hearing about the Beatles." And then I'm like, "I get it. They've got some tunes." Um, speaking of tunes, let's, let's jump into the movie we're talking about this week. So this the, week we... The cover album of William <laughs> Castle movies. <laughs> yeah, this movie, oh my god, it's, so we're doing 13 Ghosts from the great year of 2001. T-H-I-R, uh, number 13, E-N. <laughs> Thirteen Ghosts. Um, it's uh, an, apparently an American-Canadian production, which I hadn't realized, uh, directed by the great Steve Beck. This movie, I think, uh, af- so I've got, a th- I've got a theory. After Scream dropped in 1996 and everybody was sort of doing the slasher thing, uh, nobody really knew what was going on right after the slasher bubble burst, and everybody was trying to figure out what the fuck a horror movie was now. Um, and this is the result of that. It is 20 ideas in a five-pound bag. It is a very 2000s thing of let's take something that worked in the 60s and 70s and just redo it. Oh, but yeah. But make it modern because <laughs> <laughs> this movie... So 13 Ghosts is a William Castle film. Uh, the gimmick was it was a movie in 3D and you could only see the ghosts in with the 3D glasses, so it was like, you know, they passed out glasses. Very much oh. in the same style of have a nurse on call in the lobby or a guy warning you, don't go see that movie, or Man. Like smell-o-vision. You know what? If they, br- if they brought back more gimmicks in theaters, I feel like I would go to the movies more. If they were like, you know, Bay of Blood had like the last chance station in front of the, uh, the, the theater door where it's like a dude at a little booth whose job is to warn you not to go in there if you're, you know, faint of heart or whatever. And, like, I, I love gimmick bullshit with movie promotion. So so what the remake has done is they take the same glasses, but they make them diegetic. So they're the only way that the characters in the movie can see the ghosts is with these special, like, basically the Oakleys you buy in Central Park <laughs> around the same time period. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm you know honestly, it kind of works for me that repurposing of the thing, where it's just like yeah, the characters are, are wearing the glasses to see the ghosts. I always think now, Quincy, do you like three D glasses on movies? Like, is this is this a thing you enjoy when a thing is in three D and you I, got the glasses? I, as a person who wears eyeglasses, I hate three D glasses <laughs> because yeah. they do not make so so. Glasses wearers are probably familiar with what my mother calls gozovers, which are the sunglasses that are large enough. And they have the frames that are hollowed out to click on top of your glasses. Mm-hmm. They don't make 3D goes-overs. It's, it, it's a real problem. So really, they just need to make giant, like, sort of helmets that you can wear that just yeah, go over your head. Exactly. And, yeah, I think so, too. <laughs> Honestly, I, I always think of um, the with Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, um, the fact that the uh, like the last 15 minutes of the movie are in 3D 
And in theaters, they actually had to be like, okay, everybody, now put on your 3D glasses. And just, like, the amount of work that went into that. Like, I, I, honestly, um, the only way that I think this movie could be more gonzo and ridiculous is if it did the 3D movie thing of characters awkwardly holding things out to the camera from, like, <laughs> three feet away. That's my favorite shit, is when you just got characters being like, oh, and here's a shovel I found. And just, like, jamming it into the camera. Um now, this movie, so, uh, I, I've never seen the 1960 film, so I just assume that uh, 13 Ghosts is the only version that has ever existed. <laughs> um, it centers, a, it's sort of like a, a House on Haunted Hill thing. I feel like, I don't know anything about the William Castle version, but it seems like the kind of joint that Vincent Price would have been doing. Oh, yeah, and, and um, we also have to remember that the House on Haunted Hill remake came out two years before this. So, mm-hmm. also the same production company. So, Dark Castle was like, we're going to mine the past of gimmicky, horror bullshit and make it <laughs> 2000s, extreme. Yeah. Yeah. This is 100% Robert Zemeckis going like, how do we make it Fall of the House of Usher 2000? And it's just him with a boogie board. And it's like, all right, Robert Zemeckis. Um, now this movie, but, uh, but this guy, a very rich collector named Cyrus Criticos, <laughs> you know, like how people have names, <laughs> Cyrus, <laughs> Cyrus, yeah, Cyrus Criticos, uh, who is, I think, kept mysterious through, he's a ghost hunter? He's a collector. He collects ghosts because the first <laughs> scene of the movie, collector. he has this elaborate Ghostbusters crew assembled to capture a ghost in a box. And mm-hmm. like the ghost Greenpeace shows up and they're like, this is slavery because these are uh, sapient uh, entities. They're just you know not alive. You can't put a ghost in a box and just keep it for your own entertainment purposes. <laughs> and yeah. Cyrus says, I do what I want. And then, <laughs> and then captures a ghost. Cyrus is out of his mind. Like I love now. And this sort of a character, uh, especially in these sorts of movies around this time period, you had to have, you know, everything is very stylized and very, you know, sharp and very now man. And he is just like the composite of every evil sort of tech oligarch. Uh, but also with that charmingly out of date like cravat he's wearing. That's what it is. He's Vincent Price two thousand in in this role. Like Vincent Price would definitely be the guy who's like, yes, I want to capture some ghosts and put them in a house, and it's just this dude. Um, and he is assisted by uh, his uh, friend Matthew Lillard. Matthew uh, Lillard, the psychic who can't stand to be touched. You know what? I'm I'm just gonna say it. Matthew Lillard carries this movie on his gangly little back. He does. He really does. He. It's. I. I get so. I mean, Matthew Lillard is uh, an oh shit. Now we're talking actor for me in such a huge way because I imprinted on him like a baby duck watching uh, Scream. Uh, but yeah, he in this role, he is a ghost hunter. I mean, he's not a ghost hunter. He's like a psychic who can. He's a psychic that Cyrus has hired because he can find ghosts. Yeah, and he gets bamboozled into capturing a ghost that he wasn't aware he was going to be capturing, and he's like, that wasn't part of the deal, Cyrus Criticos, and Cyrus Criticos is like, dismissive J.O. motion, whatever, I got my ghost fucker. Um, And so all of these ghosts, they're kind of like trading cards of ghosts. They are, and and later they they literally pull out 
an ancient tome and go over how this is the dark zodiac of ghosts. <laughs> you've got Pikachu. You've got <laughs> yeah. You've headless you've got torso ghosts. You have electricity ghost, vegetable ghosts. You've, you've got, got big fat baby man ghost and little person mom. Which yeah, is, which... which is not a joke. Actually, in the movie, there's just big fat guy in a diaper. And his mom, who is just a little person. Here, actually, let's, you know what, let's let's do a quick uh, The Gang's All Here rundown of uh, the titular 13 ghosts. Uh, yeah, we have the firstborn son, who is, uh, he's like a, a, a creepy little kid who is dressed up like a cowboy and he has an arrow in his head. He's a very, like, 1950s... This kid was playing in the backyard and accidentally got killed with a real arrow. Yeah, now, he never actually... He's got a cap gun... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's got like a little pop gun. He never actually hurts anybody. All he his his purpose in this motion picture is to wander around and say I want to play with people and be creepy, and that's the thing that he does. Um, you've got the torso, which is just a. How did they do this? It's like I think they had an amputee. Um, they they actually didn't. I watched the making of oh. featurette on the digital versatile disc of, of this movie. <laughs> And they had an actor uh, wear um, a green hood, so it is it is perhaps the best CGI in a very uh, CGI laden movie. Mm-hmm. But they had a guy basically just lay on the floor and flop around, and then they went back and removed his limbs. That's really fucking neat. I had a, I mean, it it looks it looks good. It he, does. It is. It is so good. They also, in the making of featurette on the DVD of 13 Ghosts, said that a lot of the animation studio in, that was doing the CGI were too squicked out by it and wouldn't take that project to animate that torso because they had to animate like a, a, a stump with spinal fluid leaking out and, oh, and yeah. the like. And uh, one of the guys, also in 2001... Everyone in Hollywood that works on a horror movie wears a Hawaiian shirt. Wow, that seems right. I yeah. feel like that's I feel like that's the outfit you're going to want for this. Yeah, um, yeah. It's it's very much like I have to wear a button-up shirt to work, but I'm going to like stick it to the stick it to the <laughs> CEO and wear this instead. Whatever. I, I may have to wear a button-up shirt, but you can't stop Jimmy Buffett, man. And you get to just <laughs> yeah, and it's a casual Friday all the time. What a, what a day. Um, so we've, we've got the firstborn, the torso, the jackal, which oh, is like he—they describe him as the Charlie Manson of ghosts. Yeah, he's just like, uh, but he's a dude with an iron cage on his head. Which what's the deal with the? Is this meant to be like a Hannibal Lecter sort of? You don't want you don't want him getting bitey with people thing. I guess, but the iron cage is um, is opened. You also have Railroad Spike Ghost, which I don't know what his Dark Zodiac correlation is, but he's literally a man just riddled with Railroad Spikes. Yeah, he, he yeah he's referred to as the Hammer. S- side note, why the fuck is he the ha- He's the nails! He is the opposite of the... He is the counterpart of the Hammer. the same type of nails that my <laughs> Christian youth group leader tried to poke into my hand to remind me that, like, Jesus suffered for my sin you know what youth pastors should not go into prop comedy i feel like keep props and youth group on on opposite sides of that plate that's that's my opinion 
Um, so then we have uh, Tony Shaloub, who is the dad, the the loser widower dad. We have his actual <laughs> dead wife in the film. Yeah, yeah, uh, and she is uh, burned because there was a, a, a hospital fire and she died. And I don't know why... Yeah, she's just like a nice lady who's a ghost. Yeah, it's buck wild, though, that... Uh, this character's uncle, Uncle Cyrus, is like, you get the house, but you got to spend the night in it. Oh, by the way, I've also uh, entombed your wife for eternity in this house in the spectral plane. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah, completely. Now, uh, we also get uh, the ju- the juggernaut, who is just a big fucking guy who kills people. Like, yeah, just a small dude. Yeah, he's just, there's nothing else going on there. He's just a swell dude who kills people. Um, you get, uh, the, what, what, she's the lady in the bathtub with the, she's she... the, like, jealous princess or something, but it's, it's very much a self-harm joke, uh, unfortunately, yeah. but it is a naked woman with, uh, very 2001 style implants, uh, just covered in knife cuts. Yeah, and and she, I don't know. There is, I, I I will give this movie credit. There are some really cool sequences where they can't see the ghosts, but the ghosts are right there, and they're kind of like in closer proximity than they would want to be. Um, and this house, there's uh, now the way this house is designed. I will say it's pretty fucking dope. Yeah, I, I am. Of two minds. I gotta flip my Harvey Dent coin on Please. Um, <laughs> this design. <laughs> because it's very much the, okay, how can we 2001-ify this old movie? Oh, mm-hmm. we'll make a glass house. And we'll right. make it where all of the rooms in the house shift uh, constantly. And we're gonna write Latin spells on all the walls. Mm-hmm. So, like, it looks really cool. It, it took... And a remarkable amount of engineering to shoot because they made it a, a practical set, mm-hmm. and um, no one was allowed to eat craft services on set because <laughs> the last thing they wanted was to have like Shannon Elizabeth chomping on a donut in the background of a shot. <laughs> you also don't want like mustard fingers on the glass, you know? Like you really yeah. want to keep. Yeah, there's there's yeah the food for this thing. So they actually made everyone when they weren't on screen like put black robes on so they wouldn't show up in the reflections of any of the glass surfaces. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And I mean, they also this is base this whole thing is basically the same set for all of the scenes featuring the glass walls. Um which is pretty dope. I, I do yeah, like it's the- very um Doctor Who level of ingenuity where like you just love that some effects person is like we just take these four panels and we move them in different angles and we can imply that this house is huge. Yeah, yeah, Because exactly. the exterior shots are entirely CGI. There is no actual building. There's mm-hmm. just these glass panels and just enough of them to make it seem like this place is huge. Well, yeah, and like they, they really, really do pull it off. Um, I, I, I do also dig the idea that apparently the, uh, the incantations on the glass walls are meant to sort of the whole thing like the whole building is meant to be a kind of rubik's cube ghostbusters trap where you know they can't cross the barriers if you get on the other side of them um it's like the, the production design is pretty dope um but so this family uh, uh, led by uh, tony shaloub 
um, is, you know, they're having a bad time. We sort of get the, like, uh, depressing uh, domestic uh, scene at the top of it where it's like they live in a little tiny house and they've got a bunch of Moppets and... Um, you, you know, they sort of lament, like, ah, this place is so small, what if we lived in a bigger house? And wouldn't you know it, um, Cyrus Criticos uh, lures the family there um, by being like, congratulations, you have a huge, confusing glass Rubik's Cube Hellraiser house. Also, uh, the, the whole thing is, um, Arthur Criticos is the character that Tony Shalhoub plays. Uh, Arthur is this fucking loser, and a lawyer says, your Uncle Cyrus is dead. You've inherited his house. That's all. And we're off to the races. Now, I will say, living in a giant glass house, nobody's fucking in that house. Like, nope. nobody's... What We've got, like, glass bathrooms. Shane like every... Elizabeth plays the daughter, Kathy. She's like, how am I going to use the bathroom? And then they're like, well, let's show Shannon Elizabeth in the bathroom, because we've got to establish how a bathroom could be made all of glass and still keep uh, decency. Yeah, a lady must have her secrets if she's trying to take a shit in a glass house. Like, the the thing is also, we get one line from Tony Shalhoub, which I love, that he just says, all right, nobody throw any rocks. Uh, <laughs> which is like, the, I feel like you get that joke out of the way uh, pretty much immediately. Uh, we're also intru- uh, introduced to a character named Damon, who is played by Matthew Harrison, um, and this guy just, he looks like such a wiener. Like he's just oh, got, yeah. like he's just got cold eyes and he's just like smarmy and mean. Um, and I think what Damon's, Damon's purpose is to, yeah, what, keep an he's eye on He's the them? executor of the estate. So he's like, you have to live in this house and you've got to, um, you know, not get killed by ghosts. And oh, by <laughs> the way, don't go in the basement. Uh. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he fucks right on off. (laughs) Now, he has, I want to say, the best kill in any horror movie. It's Um, very satisfying. His his death is just fantastic. Um, And he's also such a a needle dick that once he finally does actually bite it, it is satisfying. Um, He is getting uh, chased by a ghost, and one of the glass panes uh, shoots out and bisects him so that it's like... Uh, going through the middle of him so that the front of his body slides slowly down the glass pane and you see, like, the back of his skull and everything is just, like... The, the effect here, like, really, the, the special effects team was did not come to play. Yeah, yeah, they are serious. They're going hard on it. Um, around this same time, we also got the bisections in the Resident Evil movie, Mm-hmm. What was the cultural conversation <laughs> about bisection? That why why were we all so <laughs> obsessed with lasers and glass cutting people very cleanly in half? Yeah, and then we get Bill Nighy in Underworld and his face sliding off. Yeah, we were really going through a cultural moment in the early two thousands. You know what it is? It's like yeah, no, you know we're done with uh, slasher movie kills. We are doing high-concept, uh, wild kills. I mean, this is also around the the movie The Cell with Jennifer Lopez, where you watch the horse get vivisected immediately. This is, like, Jason X had a thing. Like, you're totally right. We were going through a cultural moment uh, with bisection. I don't know, like, <laughs> you could totally do a, a double feature of 13 Ghosts in Resident Evil, I think, when it comes oh, yeah. to, like, high-concept techno horror. Yeah, techno house that everyone hates. 
Yeah, yeah. This is what it is. This is before EDM is a thing, but we do still have techno. This is, it, it would be ideal for you to be able to watch 13 Ghosts on like Winamp circa <laughs> like 2001. Um, and, you know, the the setup of the thing is very sort of, I don't know, very sort of classic spooky story. You know, you if you want to inherit the house, you've got to stay the whole night sort of a thing. And they, you know, they just sort of have to make it through the night. Um, at the center of the house is a big uh, Event Horizon style, like, centrifuge. Yeah, and this is actually a um, machine that allows a user to see the future. And it is, uh, it is told to us that a prophet uh, was dicta- divinely dictated by Satan himself how to make this machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they like, keep saying, by Satan's design, here is the <laughs> machine. <laughs> so wait, so th- we're, we're doing techno, we're doing magic. Satan and God canonically exist in 13 Ghosts? Yes, Satan and God canonically exist because Satan designed the machine (laughs) and the afterworld canonically exists and apparently um, ghosts can affect the real world because very early in the movie, Matthew Lillard said... This ghost is known to. This man was known to kill thirteen people, and Cyrus is like, actually, it's more like twenty-five. And Cyrus is like, how? He's like, well, he's he's been catching up in the afterlife. So yeah, yeah, it it, it is a big like. Well, you know, he's he's been keeping busy since death. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, so basically, Satan got super into like architecture and interior design, where he's yeah, just got yeah, and like, yeah. here you go, and. We know all this because uh, we get this character, Kalina Arezia, played by Imbeth Davids, mm-hmm. and she just shows up to be an exposition dump, basically, oh, at least completely. for the first half of the movie. Yeah, her, her point is to yeah sort of explain what the ghosts are and what's going on. Um, quick question, how the fuck did she get into the house if the whole place was locked up tight? Like, the same way that Matthew Lillard's character got in the house. They just said, <laughs> we belong in this house, and got in. This actually... Uh, the, 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 so you know how The Dark Knight Rises is a, a, a very bad movie? Um, but yes, like that... Yes. I think the immediate thing at the time that I, uh, like, in the theater was just, like, stewing about, I was so mad, was where, like, you know, uh, Gotham City is locked down, nobody gets in or out because of the scary hordes of poor people that um, have have taken over Gotham City that, uh, you know, Christopher Nolan is like, you see? You see what happens when poor people move into the city? Um, and then Batman is off in the fucking Middle East down a hole or whatever, getting his back broken. And then he somehow manages to get back into the city. And the movie puts so much English on the fact that nobody can get in or out that it's like, you couldn't have devoted like five minutes to how the fuck did the man with the broken back get back into the fort- like fortress city? Yeah, yeah. It, you, you, you are going to give us like a 10 minute court scene where Scarecrow is a fucking judge, but we're not going to get crucial uh, plot for how a guy with a broken spine, who in the comics had to retire from being yeah. Batman. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know, Christopher Nolan goes like, mm, I bet you could break your spine and then still st- like show up to work and be basically okay. 
Um, the, the, the only other version of the spine thing that I've seen recently, um, I just uh, played through um, Resident Evil Village for the second time. There's a bit in this game that I can't stop thinking about. So, Quincy, uh, the, the main character of uh, Resident Evil's 7 and 8 is uh, Ethan Winters, and this guy just has the most hand trauma of any character. <laughs> like, it's just constantly getting his hands fucked up. At one point, Lady Demitresk chops uh, Ethan Winter's hand off in this game while he's trying to operate an elevator and then he, he gets away and still has his severed hand. You get a scene where he just sticks his severed hand back onto the stump, twists it around a little and then flexes his fingers and he's like alright, I fixed it. God um, bless you, Capcom. That's the most... <laughs> the dumbest shit. Like, and you know, the thing is, I'm already, I'm in for a penny on this because I'm like, okay, you know, this is the game with the um, dummy thick dummy mommy with the huge hands chasing me around a castle. My, <laughs> my, my suspension of disbelief is, I you don't got to worry about that. Like, just the, sticking the hand on, splashing some medicine on it and being like, oh, that really sucked when my hand got chopped off. <laughs> Anyway, but this is uh, also a game. Resident Evil is also a, a game franchise where medicine is just herbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just have to creep around dank rooms looking for uh, multicolored herbs that you can combine into a healing poultice. <laughs> like, I also love um, Resident Evil Four. Is probably always going to be my favorite. Oh, but Resident Evil so Four has uh, ne'er do well sewer urchin who just has machine guns and rocket launchers for sale <laughs> quincy the sound i made when the merchant in resident evil says resident evil 8 says what are you buying <laughs> I, had, I had an old friend who used to say that and i'm like I, I know that friend yeah there's just a weird drug dealer druid in a robe with a backpack full of machine guns waiting around <laughs> to help you out um yeah those games are ridiculous and i, I adore them um now, we get to Kalina's relationship with Cyrus Criticos, um, and they're, they're sort of, they're, they make out briefly after she, yeah, like, she, so, she knocks one of the other ladies unconscious. So, so we get this, we get to this part of the movie where Cyrus, Cyrus dies in the first, in the opening scene. Mm -hmm. which allows Arthur and his family to move in. And then we get where Kalina is talking to the ghost of Cyrus. And we're like, okay, he's in the exact same outfit that he died in. He's got his little cravat, but it's bloody now. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the, the twist of the movie involves math. Because Tony Shalhoub goes, <laughs> wait a minute. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11... No, you're the 13th ghost. It's impossible for you to also be a ghost. And Cyrus is like, you've foiled my plot. I'm actually not a ghost. And, you know, everyone takes off their glasses and he doesn't disappear. Because he's like, yes, I'm just in a costume. Because Arthur Criticos is the key to the devil machine working. Because you got to have a poor schlub die for, die for his family in order for this machine to work. He's actually why you're not allowed to eat on set, because he got some uh, cran apple on his cravat, and <laughs> it really fucked up production. So they're like, all right, no more craft services on the glass set. Um, and yeah, like, so what his his ultimate plan is to, like, use the 13 ghosts as, like, a battery? Yeah, basically it's a ghost battery. And uh, the machine... Uh, Cyrus puts... Uh, Kathy and Bobby, uh, Tony Shalhoub's kids, in the machine, 
and says, I bet you won't save your children. And then, of course, uh, Tony, who's a fucking loser in this movie, just the dirt yeah. worst, yeah. spineless a... little maggot. Yeah, like, okay, he's... I gotta save my kids, and uh, saves the day. Yeah, like, he, he is a broke dick dog in this movie. And the <laughs> thing is, he also, like... It's almost, the movie doesn't trust, I think, the viewer enough to know what his motivation is in this movie, so he keeps needing to repeat, like, I just gotta save my kids. I, my kids are the most important thing. I just, whatever happens to me now, I need to protect my kids. And it's like, yeah, I've also played a video game where the protagonist is trying to save their kids. Like, I'm, I'm already on board, Tony. And little Bobby Criticos is the most default player in a Tony Hawk game <laughs> possible for a 2001. <laughs> he's wearing a ball chain necklace. He's yes. got he's riding around the house oh. on a Razor scooter. <laughs> that Razor scooter gets so much play in this movie. It's this movie does feature a ghost chase on a Razor scooter, which is just fantastic. Uh we get a lot of ghost chases in this movie. Not a lot yeah, of jump scares. The whole thing is about like, okay, so the doors keep the, the ghosts can't open doors but because you can't see them inevitably everyone in this movie just opens the door and lets a ghost through oopsies <laughs> and then it's let's race down the hallway to the next door to close it again yeah yeah which is also kind of dope that it's basically the same hallway that they just keep repurposing shot after shot and it look you know the ghost chases are pretty good uh matthew lillard gets super murdered uh yes by yeah. By the juggernaut. And he... Now, I do... Uh, because this is a, a technically a haunted house movie, and I love haunted house stories, um, he's basically the character that's always my favorite, which is the guy who's like five cocktails into this experience, and he knows too much about what's going on, and he has a lot of information, and he's like surly, but also he's just really fucking sad. Yeah, he's the Chris Kattan of... 13 goes so chris Kattan yeah. is probably the best part of the house on haunted hill remake and matthew lillard is just playing that exact same part in this yeah he's he's basically adam brody and ready or not where it's yeah exactly he's the chris Kattan character now he also he he does have a heart of gold i think he's one of these dudes who is you know if all right here's the thing He's Matthew Lillard, so there's only, like, so haunted we're gonna get. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he's meant to be this character who feels too much and sees too much because of his psychic connection, and, you know, he's, like, coping with that psychic damage by just drinking himself to death. Um, but he doesn't go full Alki in this movie. Like, he is helping them out, he's trying to help them out, and then he heroically uh, sacrifices himself uh, so that, uh, what, a couple of the other characters can g escape uh, mortal peril? Yeah, yeah, and then uh, at this point, Arthur Criticos destroys the machine and hugs his kids <clears throat> and, like, they get out of the house. Oh, and this whole film, uh, Arthur employs a nanny oh, by let's... Raw Digga. Uh, the character's <laughs> name is Maggie Bess, which is very cringy. <laughs> Eee. Yeah, this movie... Now, the thing is, uh, also popular in the early 2000s is having a character whose main role is to be sassy and black. Yeah. Um, and in a way that's just like... I mean, you know, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer had a lot of that. Uh, like, there, there's so many movies during this period are sort of... I mean, shit, even Scream 2 was like, we just need to have characters being our imagination as white writers of what black people sound like. Yeah, um, yeah, we just need... A character to say, oh no, you didn't. 
Yeah, yeah. And like Rod Digga does a great job in this role. Um, but she her her main role is to stand around going, like, well that's fucked up whenever a thing happens, which you know what? I'm kind of into that actually, is just having you know, I, I don't think I think there's a difference between having a character who's like a reasonable human being responding to the insanity of living in a Rubik's Cube ghost house and having a line of dialogue that's literally just somebody going, well, that happened. And it's just like, that's not, that's not a joke. But she does a great job as the, the babysitter. Um, she is never around these kids at any point in her capacity <laughs> as a babysitter. And she also makes it very clear that she's only paid to babysit because she's like, yeah. uh, Miss Maggie does not do windows when they move into this glass house. So mm-hmm. she's like, uh, she turns to Tony, Tony Shalhoub and is like, if you think I'm going to do windows, you can fuck up a rope. I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Yeah, which is also bizarre to me that it's like, okay, Tony Shalhoub's family, we are made aware that they are living in like a yurt or whatever, his whole family, and it's just cramped and they're broke and don't have any money. He comically trips over the aforementioned Razor scooter and, like, slides across the house. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. But, like, what's weird to me is, like, okay, so wait a minute. So you're super, super poor, and you can also afford to have, like, a live-in nanny? Like, what are we... It's... Yeah, it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, But... The Juggernaut uh, basically does to Matthew Lillard what the Ultimate Warrior did to Bobby the Brain Heenan once, <laughs> where he just, like, fucking just drops him right on his fucking head, and he's, he just, you know, like, murders the shit out of him. We do get a fun bit where um, the family, like, the kids uh, are uh, in the center of the uh, the rotating, like, Event Horizon centrifuge. And this feels so video game to me that Tony Shalhoub needs to, like, time the ring spinning to jump into the thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's already shown because um, he kills Cyrus by throwing him into the machine and he just gets pulverized into yeah. tiny, tiny rich man bits. Oh, yeah. He gets he gets julienned by this house. Um, now, Quincy, can you tell me what... What is the gold at the end of Cyrus Criticos's rainbow with using all of these ghosts as a battery? Like, what's the thing that he's trying to make happen? He wants to see the future, but I don't know why that matters. Especially because he already employs a psychic. Yeah, like, is it that he just wants to stop outsourcing seeing the future to Matthew Lillard? And you so do, You gotta do it in-house. Everything has to be in-house. <laughs> you gotta have full creative control. No more, no more remote psychic work. We can't listen, guys. The pandemic is done. We're all coming back. You really need to be able to do your own psychic work at home in your enormous satanic glass house. Um, he, yeah, like Cyrus. I, I, I think I love him so much as a villain. That's just like, I'm sinister. I'm fancy. I'm not up to any good. And you don't really ever totally get a sense of what it is he's trying to do. Um, he's, he's basically, um, the main guy from Hell House by, uh, Madison, where he's just, yeah, fancy and evil and rich. Oh, um, oh, we forgot to talk about my favorite kill, which is Kalina getting squished between two pieces of glass. Man, you know what? That kill, pretty tasty. It does look pretty cool. Um... <laughs> How, how does this happen? Like, Cyrus decides that she's outlived her usefulness? Yeah, and he just yeets her between rooms when the when the house shifts around to its new configuration. It's, it's pretty dope. I honestly, the setting really does work for me when it comes to, like, I, I think this actually, 13 Ghosts might be um, the high score for me of, like, 
2001 uh, shiny techno horror with these glass sliding walls. Like, it... I don't know. It totally works for me. I can't really think of a movie I've seen that looks like 13 Ghosts. So let's talk about where we want to put this on our list. Now, I feel like we've got to uh, start with House on Haunted Hill from 99. That's at number 238, right below um, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2007. Ooh, this is definitely better than Rob Zombie's Halloween 2007. Um, And that's... Although, I don't know, House on Haunted Hill... At least we had, like, Jeffrey Rush running around in yeah, that. Yeah, we don't have Jeffrey Rush. Um, like, Cyrus Criticos as played by Jeffrey Rush, now we're talking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like uh, we do have Matthew Lillard above Chris Kattan, which is, uh, I think, for me, a, a pretty good trade-off. Um, so I think it's better than Halloween 2007 at uh, number 237. However, right above that is uh, other very, very early 2000s movie, Freddy vs. Jason. At, yeah, uh, number two thirty-six, and and the thirteen ghosts DVD doesn't have a kills party playlist feature where you just put the <laughs> DVD in and set it to just play the kill scenes, and it also at doesn't, random. and it also doesn't just play Il Nino over the the closing <laughs> credits of uh, thirteen ghosts when Maggie is like, I quit this fucking nanny job. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, so I, I, ooh, I don't know. Like, I've seen, now the thing is, as you know, Freddy versus Jason is not a good movie. No, um, but, and, and I think the reason why we're so, we, the horror fandom, is mm-hmm. so into it is because it took so long to be made. Many of us, especially of a certain age, didn't believe it to be possible. I mean, I spent so much of the late 90s on, like, AOL uh, boards looking at fan scripts for Freddy vs. Jason. Like, this was, you know, in, it, I mean, it's like the, the poster child for, like, pr- uh, being in production hell. Um, and I think this movie, the thing about it is, it's such a permutation of every idea that got thrown out and kept for Freddy vs. Jason, and they eventually landed on whatever the fuck this was. And I've just, I've seen this movie so many times that it's sort of irrelevant whether it is a good or a bad movie. It is the movie Freddy vs. Jason. Right above Freddy vs. Jason, we have um, Upgrade and Venom, both uh, cases of bodies being taken over by a uh, third party. Oh, man. So uh, I love both of those movies for for very different reasons. Yes. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Upgrade is fantastic. I, ooh, that's a tough one. Okay, so Venom at number 234, uh, which, as we know, is about uh, disaster gay Eddie Brock and his alien boyfriend. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's I also like, a Vore movie. We it, can't man. forget that it's a Vore movie. <laughs> it's a and vor- it's abidingly anti-cop. It's abidingly anti-cop. It's a Vore movie with a title track by Eminem over the credits, which, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the fact that that's above Il Nino uh, over the closing credits of Freddy vs. Jason makes, I guess, sense to me. Um, I feel like Friday Night Test, I would rather put on Venom than 13 Ghosts. Yeah, for sure. But, ugh, I don't, hmm, I don't know. I definitely think Upgrade is better than 13 ghosts absolutely which is not a controversial statement i don't think (laughs) 
because um, it has like it, it's a techno horror movie that kind of knows what to do with the ideas it's fucking around with now here's where we get to uh a really challenging point under venom right below venom and right above freddy versus jason is the pilot to disney afternoons gargoyles gargoyles Ooh. awakening damn 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 that's hmm I see gargoyles were so formative for me as a kid that I, I feel like I, I can't be objective here because if you ask me, hey, is gargoyles better or worse than you didn't even have to say the second thing because I'm like gargoyles. It's, it's, it's gargoyles. It's the better one. So um, so what we have here is a derivative piece of media, 13 Ghosts, which is let's take a film that made money and let's redo it. Also, uh, 13 Ghosts 2001 is a... Uh, absolute failure at the box office which you know oh yeah revenue isn't the only way to determine the quality of something Mm -hmm. but in 2001 we knew that this was a piece of garbage man if even like you know uh, uh, joe bob in 2001 the like objectively one of the worst years on record uh, (laughs) like the fact that that guy was like "Ah, i heard that was butt cheek i'm not i'm not gonna go watch 13 ghosts with matthew lillard (laughs) Um, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think we're fond of it now, but it, it it's kind of a failure on a lot of levels as a yeah. movie. Yeah, um, and, and really, the only thing that 13 Ghosts is doing is it's kind of a, um, quaint time capsule of a bygone era of Hollywood. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Gargoyles is a pilot meant to start a series. It has all of these really amazing elements in it. And even though it doesn't give uh, viewers quite a satisfying ending because it's literally designed to begin a narrative, mm-hmm. uh, I would argue that Gargoyles is better. Plus, yeah. it came with a VHS board game when you got it. From, oh, sh- uh, oh, shit. <laughs> got it brand new. Man, you know what? The little free blockbuster needs that uh, VHS. Fun um, story. I've never actually played the gargoyles board game because i rented it from blockbuster and it was not the pieces of cardboard uh for the board game were not included so i just watched the vhs (laughs) board game without getting to participate that is which is is just clips from the show and ominous music as a timer ticks down (laughs) i mean that's that sounds like what you would want on at the bar at like a halloween party with like the sound (laughs) off is just clips from gargoyles i i totally agree that like i mean it is a pilot so it's not you know going to be satisfying on on an ending level obviously but i think it's a perfect two-part pilot because it sets up everything you need to get the series going like Gives you the characters, gives you the world building, gives you the supporting cast, like gives you an idea of who all these characters are. And also the pathos of first Goliath losing all of his kin because he fucked up and Mm -hmm. um, he his hubris draws him away from the castle and allows his entire clan to be massacred. Mm -hmm. And also uh, the that book ended with the modern day. All of the gargoyles that weren't allowed names get to choose their own names and choose their own identity now that they're in New York. So they become Gargoyles 2000. <laughs> they're like, we're not medieval gargoyles anymore. We live in a satanic mansion. They, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what it is. Is like, you know, it, it has so much more pathos than you would imagine a, a pilot for a show like this is going to have. 
Um, what's also incredible about it is that, you know, if we're talking about, like, weird production about Freddy versus Jason, uh, Gargoyles was originally meant to be sort of goofy and, like, uh, sort of like the gargoyles from Hunchback of Notre Dame style gargoyles that just like that yeah that, that just like awful and you know they just go on wacky hijinks and bedevil the townsfolk and it's and then some brilliant motherfucker was like actually what if we got super Shakespearean and got Keith fucking David to voice Goliath and we explored issues of like identity and yeah yeah it's just it's racism fun. through the lens of a, of uh, animated gargoyles. It's got everything. Um, so I feel like between that, I would feel good about putting 13 Ghosts um, above Freddy vs. Jason at 236 and below Gargoyles, uh, the the pilot, at 235. So that's 13, T-H-I-R, number 13, <laughs> 13 Ghosts. Um, yeah, number 236. Uh, and guys, this is also um, right now streaming on Shudder. If you're uh, listening to this now or in the future, you know, just literally, okay, don't pay money for the movie 13 Ghosts. It's I crucial. I am literally putting this in the local free blockbuster today <laughs> after we get done recording. So if you're in Tennessee, you can also just get a free copy from the... Uh, <laughs> blockbuster <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is, you don't guys, even have to bring it back just take it home and enjoy <laughs> please take the, it, congratulations on your acquisition of 13 ghosts uh but yeah so yeah coming in at our new number uh 236 uh quincy where can our listeners find us on the internet we are on just about every social media uh platform at rank and vile cast on twitter and at rank and vile on instagram uh, we're also at Rankin Valcast on YouTube, where you can find some fun playlists we put together. Uh, you want, you'll probably want to go to our podcast network page. That's FaustianNonsense.com. Uh, there you'll find a landing page with links to just about everything we do. Hell yeah. And guys, uh, thank you for hanging out on the Discord. Thank you for uh, talking. Like We, we, we love, we love uh, being part of this community and... and watching these movies because like where else are you going to sort of sit your friends down and be like we need to talk about 13 ghosts um so yeah th thank you guys so much for listening yeah um again if you haven't joined the discord uh we continue the conversation every week online we talk about uh specifically talk about the episodes and um interact with uh our community with about what we talked about each week uh, so many memes so many memes very welcoming so please um feel free to join. And again, you can find that on our um, podcast network page, how to uh, get to discord. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, barring that, that is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later folks.